Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. the bareback facts and today it's the first edition of mythical fight nights here i am your host dallas also known as big d of the straight football talk show here with totally driven entertainment network guys i'm back i'm better than ever and today we're going to be talking about two very terrifying figures from mythology and we're going to lock them into an epic struggle for control over the shadows Today, we're talking about the Demon King, Valor of Celtic Mythology, and we're pitting him against the ruler of the Eternal Night, the dreaded Slavic god, Cernabog. Now, these guys are two ancient gods, two legendary beings whose purpose is destruction, annihilation, and mastery of all mortals. And today, only one will claim the the crown. Only one will sit on the throne as the Lord of Darkness. So there's only one thing that we know for certain, that no matter who wins this epic fight, humanity loses. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Let's get right to it. We're going to start off with Valor. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Valor, he's been popularized uh, thanks to the WWE's uh, superstar wrestler uh, for, for Finn Balor is what he calls himself now. He's gone by the name Fergal DeVitt, uh, Prince DeVitt as well. Um, for those of you familiar with the WWE, you have seen Finn Balor. He's a phenomenal athlete, uh, but he takes on this persona of the Demon King. Uh, calls himself Balor and occasionally even paints a large eye on his body, amongst the other things that he does, paints himself up in war paint. But there is a reason why uh, Balor, Fergal event, uh, has in, evoked this character from mythology. Number one, uh, Balor has been Irish mythology, Celtic mythology, uh, has always been a fixture, uh, and he's always sort of been the bad guy. He is the prototypical bad guy. Uh, he starts out... Uh, as the leader of a ancient race of beings known as the Fomorians. The Fomorians are a dark and uh, devilish race uh, that w- once ruled over what is now uh, Ireland. Uh, they rule over uh, the Tuatha Dé Nan, uh, which are the first people, uh, supposedly, uh, who lived in Ireland. Uh, they were the first um, people, a fair race of people who lived uh, in, in 
in uh, basically a far far forgotten time, far flung uh, ages ago, before the before men, before mortals. Uh, they're a they're a fair race of people. Uh, similar to the Nordic stories of elves, these people are quite similar to that. Now, the Fomorians ruled over these people with absolute power. Uh, they oppressed them. Uh, they enslaved them. Uh, and to a lesser degree, uh, and, 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 to many, and, and to a lesser degree, basically owned them. Um, the Fomorians themselves were incredibly powerful. Um, they had an army, a vast army of demons and, and hellish beasts uh, that would devour the Tuatha Dé Nan uh, should they get out of line. Uh, and no, no being among them was as terrifying as Balor was. Uh, Balor was the self-proclaimed leader of the Fomorians. Uh, in his youth, uh, he looked upon a spell that was being cast uh, by his own father's uh, druids. Uh, and druids figure prominently within Irish uh, mythology. They figure prominently in Celtic culture uh, as a whole. They were the wise men. They were the shamans. They were the uh, holy men, if you will, possessing otherworldly knowledge. And the druids were, were well known for concocting spells. They appear in, in many stories, concocting spells and potions. Uh, but when Balor was a boy, he spied on his father's druids, hoping to gain some secret knowledge. And in exchange, uh, and, and instead of gaining this secret knowledge, uh, he learned that they were concocting a spell of death. Uh, the fumes of this spell entered one of Balor's eyes, and this gave him power over death. Uh, the power over death was transferred into his eye, and so great was the power that he had to keep his eye closed. Uh, otherwise, it would strike any mortal dead. Uh, any immortal or mortal would die instantly uh, should, that, should his eye gaze upon them. Everything that he gazes upon with this eye, uh, it is destroyed. Now, because of this, Balor always kept his eye closed. Uh, and it, it was this eye that he kept closed. It was as a secret weapon for him, his ultimate weapon. Uh, he had to keep it closed and it became so heavy that after a time it would take 10 mortal men to open his eye. Uh, Balor's eye uh, proved to be a, a powerful tool in battle as it held the power to kill anything uh, that it beheld and, and lay waste to anything. Uh, he became the most powerful leader of the Fomorians as a consequence. Uh, and it is said by the folk in Kong Komeo that the rocks there are men who were petrified by the glance of Balor's eye. Now, stories vary as to whether or not Balor's eye would uh, turn people to stone or simply strike them dead. Others say that his eye would, would uh, spew forth a toxic fume that would just cause everything around it to die. Um, it depends on which version of the story you're listening to. What we know for certain is that Balor's eye destroys everything when he opens his eye uh in some variations of the stories when he opens his eye the world ends uh everything that he lays his gaze upon is destroyed uh now balor it's not all it's not all awesomeness for him it's not all glory and and destroying things with his with his fantastical eye uh because once 
when he was young, uh, the Druids prophesied that he would be killed at the hands of his own grandson. Now, to prevent this from coming true, uh, he imprisoned his only daughter, Essene, in a tower and gave strict orders to his men that a man's name must not be mentioned in her presence and that no man was to enter her tower. However, it would be Balor uh, himself who undermines his own plans uh, and causes her to meet the man of her dreams, the her hero, her knight in shining armor. Now, despite the fact that Balor had plenty of land and livestock, being the king of a demonic race uh, and having uh, pretty much unlimited access to basically anything and everything that he could ever want, uh, he coveted a marvelous cow called Glass Gobinon, uh, which was owned by the by Sion of the Tuatha Dé Nan. Now, it's unclear as to whether or not uh, Sion is under the thumb of Balor and his kingdom at this point. Uh, we know that the Fomorians were supposedly the rulers of the mortal race at this time, uh, but uh, that didn't mean that everybody fell under their dominion. Uh, there were there is suggestion within the mythos uh, that Valor and his Fomorians didn't necessarily rule all of the world. Uh, they only ruled parts of it. They ruled they ruled with absolute power. And so Sin is most likely an individual who uh, is not within his kingdom. So he's looking from afar, looking far out of his kingdom to find uh, something that he desired. Uh, so Valor decided that he would steal this cow. He decides. To do so, he disguises himself as Sian, goes after the cow, uh, and and steals it. Uh, as a consequence, Sian uh, goes after, comes back to get his cow. He's like, "Well, this guy stole my cow. I'm going to go back and get it." Uh, maybe not the wisest course of action, considering this guy can kill you with a glance. But whatever, Sian's got Sian's baldies full of piss and vinegar. He's going to do it. So he goes and he goes to steal his cow back, and instead he creeps into this tower and finds uh, Balor's beautiful daughter uh, just kind of laying about, and he slips in there. They fall in love because, of course, they do because, you know, it's the only man she's ever seen, so this is as good as it's going to get for her probably. Uh, She gives birth to a son, and she names him Lou, who happens to become the king of the Tuatha Dé Nan. these other, this other, who later become uh, gods in their own right. Now, Balor orders child be killed immediately, but Lou uh, survives to fulfill prophecy. And in a second great battle between the Tuatha Dé Nan and the Fomorians, he slays his grandfather, uh, Balor, at the Battle of Moitura. Uh, now. Balor himself is a mythical tyrant. Uh, he's he's considered to be a giant. He's a larger than life figure. Uh, he in in many of the stories involving Balor, Balor is in fact a giant uh, with with destructive power. He wields a spear uh, tipped with poison. Uh, he his eye again can destroy anything that he gazes upon, and he commands a vast army of demons. Uh, and among these demons are monsters, banshees, all sorts of hellish creatures that you don't want to meet uh, in a dark alley at any time, or pretty much ever. 
so uh, Balor is considered to be the god of death. Not only does he command power over death, uh, it is said that Balor controls who lives and dies. Uh, he, within his, with, it is within his will to cause mortals to die. Uh, his eye, the evil eye, has been used as a curse for centuries. Uh, that he is the originator of that of that uh, concept of the evil eye that comes from Balor. Uh, so people that practiced, uh, you know, witchcraft. Um, or those who were accused of practicing witchcraft may have actually uh, been worshiping Balor or worshiping uh, the Celtic mythos and not really realizing that uh, Balor is this this figure. Uh, they may also be venerating the fact that Balor is sort of this guardian of death. Now, Balor, uh, it's not all bad with Balor. Uh, while many would consider Balor to be kind of an evil guy, uh, without Balor, uh, he's the progenitor of a line uh, that includes Lou and the mighty Kukulain. Uh For those of you who've tuned into my show before, you know that Kukulain is uh, one of the coolest, uh, in my opinion, personally, one of the coolest uh, mythical figures uh, that we have uh, as far as epic heroes go. I mean, uh, Kukulain of the Torque was was one of my, uh, has always been one of my all-time favorites. Uh, so, of course, I'm a little biased in this regard. Uh, but he's got he's got this bloodline that goes back to Lou and and Balor. Uh, he now Balor himself is best known for his confrontation uh, with with the god Lou, the Lord of Light, uh, the 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 king of the Tuatha Dé Nan, the people of the light, uh, in the Second Battle of Mortoria. Uh, but uh, Balor, you know, they say uh, according to these legends that uh, Balor is killed because his eye uh, is punctured and it goes through the back of his head and it blows him up and, and, and kills a bunch of his men. But his story doesn't end there because despite the fact that Balor is defeated in this battle, stories abound of Balor's return of Balor rising from the glorious ashes of destruction opening his massive eye and laying waste to all that is and all that ever could be. Balor represents the end of all possibilities for mortals. His mighty war cries signify the end of all mankind. His armies are so vast, it is said that wherever his his demonic armies marched, the land died. Each step Balor took caused things around it to die. Uh, in, in many of the stories, they say that the waters boiled, the trees died, grass never grew again. Uh, so he is, he is destruction incarnate. And his army, wherever it marched, drained all the rivers dry, caused the fields to go barren, caused animals to fall ill and die and rot away. He's a, he's a pretty dark individual, not somebody to be trifled with. But I think we may have found some competition for him. For those of you unfamiliar with Slavic mythology, you're probably not familiar with Chernobog. 
he's got a few different names. They call him Chernobog, Cernobog, uh, Kronobog, uh, Cheronobog. Uh, he's a Slavic deity um, hailing from Eastern Europe, uh, predominantly mentioned among the Palabian, uh, Palabian tribe. Uh, among the West Slavs uh, during the 12th century. Speculated, however, by many scholars that he's not particularly important and he's not a very old deity uh, in in this regard. Uh, most of the historical sources we have on him are Christian sources, and he's interpreted by them as being dark and accursed. Uh, it's questionable, however, how relig- malicious he really was, uh, considered to be by, by the ancient Slavs. However, the writing we do have on him, and what we know about him, as far as his purpose, uh, will will give you some pause. So Sandabog, name his name literally translates to the Black God. Uh, now little can be said about him, uh, you know, little can be said about him definitively. But here is what we do know: uh, there's one historic source on the Slavic mythology given to us. Uh, in the 12th century by, called the Chronica Slavorum, and it's a work written by a German priest named Helmold, which describes customs and beliefs of several Wendish and Palabian tribes who are still pagans. Now, Helmold wrote that the Slavs, too, have a strange delusion. At their feasts and their carousals, they pass about a bowl over which they utter words. I should not say of consecration, but of execration in the name of the gods of the good one as well as the bad one, professing that all Propitious fortune is arranged by the good god, adverse by the bad god. Hence, also in their language, they called the bad god the Apol or Sernabok. That is the black god. Now, on the basis of this inscription, uh, many modern mythographers assume that if the evil god was Chernabog, then the good god should be Belobog or the white god. However, uh, the name of Belabog is never mentioned by Helmond anywhere in his Chronica, nor is it ever mentioned, is it ever mentioned uh, in any of the historic sources that describe the deities of Slavic tribe or of any Slavic tribe or nation. Uh, it's assumed that uh, the god Satoibid, uh, which is a Slavic deity of war, fertility, and abundance, primarily venerated on the island of Rugen into the 12th century, is uh, most likely his. Uh, is opposite. Now, veneration of this deity probably survived in folklore for several Slavic peoples. Uh, in some South Slavic vernaculars, there does exist the phrase Dozaya Boga, which means to the evil god or perhaps to the evil of God, used as an attribute to express something which is exceedingly negative. Interestingly enough, uh, something to note. Chernobog has appeared prominently, despite being kind of an obscure god, he has appeared prominently uh, in many forms of media. He's made an appearance in, in uh, he features in the Night on Bald Mountain sequence in Disney's Fantasia from 1940 as a gigantic black gargoyle-like entity who summons other ghosts and demons. Uh, Walt Disney once referred to him as Satan himself. Uh, Deems Taylor likewise refers to him as such in the film. Uh, this version of Chernobog appears throughout the Kingdom Hearts series of video games, as well as an appearance in the fourth season of Once Upon a Time. Uh, Chernobog appears in the Marvel comic series Thor. He is slain by a villain, a powerful god killer. Uh, Chernobog's flying steed helps him fight back. 
he's mentioned in several books in the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews, specifically the Russian bold Roman is dedicated to Chernobog. He is the final video game boss in blood. And he is a character in the popular uh, Neil Gaiman novel and television series, American gods. It's even an obscure reference to him in the film Pacific Rim, uh, in which there is a Russian mech called Cherno Alpha, named after Chernobog. That being said, here's what we do know about what Chernobog is. Uh, Chernobog is assumed to be uh, the opposite in every respect of the good god that exists. He is he possesses no good qualities. Um, He's referred to as the mysterious black god of evil and lord of eternal night. Uh, He is a dark, often assumed demonic deity, a hideous shadowy figure dressed in black who only appears at night. Now, keep in mind that what we have is scant few sources to deal with Chernobog. But we do know, what we do know of Eastern European culture, specifically among the Slavic peoples, is that uh, they were not averse to the idea of dualism, and dualism suggests that there might be uh, that a God might that God might also be bad. God God could be good; he could be bad. Uh, you there was also there were many customs directed towards uh, keeping the good spirits happy and the bad spirits happy. Uh, if you're not familiar with Slavic folklore, it's actually quite rich. It's deep in tradition. Uh, they have many different house spirits. They have many different farm spirits. Uh, spirits that they have to uh, lay offerings out for. And some of them are good, some of them are bad, but you please them all equally and kind of just hope you're doing the right thing. Uh, you just, you, you cover all your bases. The, the Slavic people, are, they're, they're, their culture is quite rich. It's, it's actually just incredibly interesting. Uh, and if you, take the, if you have the time, I would definitely recommend looking into some of their folklore. There are no, numerous books on it. Uh, there are volumes and volumes of, of works done on Slavic folklore. It is an incredibly rich tradition uh, that they have. Uh, with that being said, for those of you who don't necessarily have the time or maybe even the incl- inclination to go look into that, uh, something that must be, must be known uh, before we can proceed any further with Chernobog is that, again, this concept of dualism uh, factors prominently in the mythos uh, of the Slavic peoples. Uh, it, it, lots of times their gods are both good and bad. They possess both qualities. You don't want to make them mad because they just destroy everything, but you want to keep them happy so they give you good things, but you don't want to keep them too happy because, you know, it upsets the balance of things. So you've got to find this even ground. Uh, the Slav, the Slavs, they like to hedge their bets. They want to make sure that everybody's happy. So you leave out an offering for the good guy. You leave out an offering for the bad guy. Um, Chernobog uh, is is considered to be uh, the lord of calamities and disasters. He brings bad luck and misfortune wherever he goes. Uh, he just enjoys being a pain in the ass for mortals, really. Uh, he's feared all over Russian Russia as being a uh, as a being of pure. Uh, pure nastiness. Um, he's uh, he's called the god of evil and swearing, curses, pestilence, and plagues. Uh, 
uh, and really he's just kind of a he's just kind of a pain in the ass. Um, most of the stories we have, most of what we've got on Sarnabog involves Sarnabog uh, involves people spitting uh, curses into a bowl during feasts to keep them away. Uh, it involves people leaving out offerings for Sarnabog at night so that he might pass their house by and not stick around. Uh, because uh, wherever Sarnabog goes, there's calamity, there's disaster. Your crops die, your livestock will die. Uh, your wife might have a premature birth. Uh, somebody in your family could die. Uh, Sarnabog causes bad things to happen. Your barn could fall apart. Your animals could get away. Your crops, uh, your crops could get eaten by crows. Um, you, you get rats. Sarnabog just carries bad luck everywhere he goes. He is the embodiment of bad luck and calamities. If you're walking down a bridge and Sarnabog passes, the bridge falls apart, you fall through the damn thing. Uh, if, you're, if you're riding your horse and Sarnabog comes by, uh, your horse is going to come up lame, you're going to get thrown, you're going to break your neck, and, you know, that's going to be your day. Uh, most of the stories involve, involving Sarnabog don't involve him really doing a whole lot. It's simply his presence that causes problems. Um, he is literally an embodiment of disaster and bad luck. So if you're ever if you're ever strolling around Russia and you see a dark cloaked man who, who's out at night, just stay away. Just don't be playing a hand of poker next to that guy because you're going to lose your shirt, your house, your ass, everything. Uh, Sarnabog is literally going to cause you to lose everything. Uh, the the concept of Sarnabog is an interesting one, uh, particularly in a culture who doesn't who, that does sort of talk about this concept of luck and fortune uh, and doing things to bring yourself good luck and doing things to ward off bad luck. Um, <clears throat> now, a lot of people would say, "Well, that's that's just silly," you know, but but it's important. Because people believed in it. Uh, now, the now Sarnabog is considered to be uh, in direct opposition uh, to all that is good. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Sarnabog is necessarily. Uh, while some people would say, "Oh, well, Sarnabog then must be completely evil." Well, Sarnabog is a little bit more complicated than just being completely evil, uh, because with dualism comes comes a necessity. Uh, for both. Dualism suggests a balance, but also a tension. Uh, now, Sarnabog may be uh, one half of, of, another, of another picture. Um, now, while it's suggested that there is another god called Belabog, again, um, it's more likely that he's in opposition to it's more likely that he's in opposition to another god Much more likely that uh, he's in opposition to Svetovid. Uh And Svetovid again, is a Slavic deity of war, fertility, and abundance. Uh, because because Sarnabog uh, represents misfortune, calamity, disaster, and scarcity, uh, a god that represents fertility and abundance would be uh, his would be his complete opposite. Yes, uh, Svetovid does represent war, uh, but he also is, but he is also 
considered to be the Lord of abundance and fertility, uh, the Lord of the horn. He carries um, a drinking horn in one hand and a, and a sword bow in, in, in the other. Uh, but the drinking horn represents plenty, and it features most prominently in picture, pictures of uh, Svetovid that we have. It's almost like the feasting horn. Uh, he is said to ride a white horse, interestingly enough, uh, and carry his horn, and wherever he goes, uh, you know, abundance and plenty follow him. Whereas Sarnabog is said in many cases uh, to... Oh, and I should mention that Svetovid is said to be kind of a handsome guy. Good, good you know, uh, he, he now he's he's sometimes depicted as having four heads uh, with two forward and two looking back, <clears throat> representing the four uh, directions of a compass. Compass, but he's also uh, said to be good looking. They're all supposed to be good looking. He's he's a handsome dude. He's got four times the good lookingness. Uh, Sarnabog, on the other hand, is twisted. Uh, he's he's nasty looking. Every depiction that you find of Sarnabog, particularly in popular culture, has a uh, you know pretty grim uh, depiction of him. As far as the Disney depiction, uh, he kind of looks just like a horned demon with wings, uh, but. He's he's depicted in American Gods as being a very um, gruff, rough around the edges looking guy uh, with a bloody hammer that he carries around. Now, Sarnabog, wherever he goes, people lose everything. Uh, he they lose they lose their livelihood. They lose. Uh, the things that they need to survive. Uh, now, I've talked about this on my show before uh, when I talked about vampires, but in uh, particularly in Eastern Europe, uh, amongst the Slavic-speaking peoples, one of the things that we have to remember is that this is a largely agrarian society. What does that mean? An agrarian society relies on farming to make it. They're the ones that farm to survive. In an agrarian society, what you need is for your crops to be good. You need your crops to be plentiful. You can't afford to have a bad harvest. You can't afford for your livestock to die. Livestock are expensive, more expensive uh, for poorer people than they would be. We, We take for granted. Today, we take it for granted uh, how good we've got it. We take for granted that we've got farms with lots and lots of cows and, and horses and sheep and, and chickens and all that good stuff, all the delicious stuff we like to eat. Maybe not horses, maybe if you're really, really hungry, maybe. Uh, but we take for granted uh, that we have access to all these all these things. We have to keep in mind that these people, they didn't have the good fortune that we have. They don't have access to uh, a, a large swath of, of livestock in in many of these in many of these villages, you might have only one cow. You might have only one goat, uh, and that goat or that cow is going to be you're going to be relying on that for food, and you're probably not going to be eating it unless it dies un- mysteriously. 
because you're going to starve to death. Cows and goats are valuable because they make they make milk, cheeses, uh, milk to make butter, cheese. We use to make preservatives. You need that animal, and you need it to be healthy. What you can't afford is for it to get sick, for it to come up lame. And a god like Serenabog, just by him passing by, can cause your animal to be sick, cause your animal to die. And we think, oh, man, that's going to cost me money. Forget money. Think about survival. What if that's all you have is that cow? It becomes a lot scarier when all you have is taken from you. You've got nothing now. What makes Serenabog particularly scary is not the fact Serenabog has access to a massive demon army. It's the fact that by simply showing up and walking by you, he ruins your life. His very presence is a calamity on humanity. His very presence causes things to go bad. And when you're, when you're a person that can't afford to lose everything you have, I mean, obviously, we could say that none of us could really afford to lose everything we have. Uh, but in a society that's, you know, going to be basing their survival entirely on agriculture, you can't afford for your crops not to work. You, you, you can't afford for your crops to fail. You starve to death. Uh, you know, again, you don't, you don't have, you don't, you can't just go to the grocery store uh, and get and get yourself get yourself a gallon of milk. If your if your cow dies, you don't get any more milk. You're dead. Like you're you're gonna you're you're not gonna have anything to drink. You're gonna have to rely on you know. Hopefully, there's a river nearby, and you can get you can maybe boil some water. But if your cow dies, you're in some serious trouble. If if your if your livestock die, I mean you. Or they get, a, or they run away. Uh, that that that's life and death for you. Uh, and you know, part of the reason I think many of us uh, sort of, you know, kind of scoff at at these gods uh, and, and and what they do. You know, we kind of think, oh, how humorous! Uh, his goats got away. Ah, oh, uh-huh. Yes, that's uh, that's funny. Uh, but you know we kind of shirk off these these superstitions and these stories as being kind of like oh well you know that's just silly you know I mean that's not very scary. Uh, but when it's life and death, uh, it becomes a lot scarier. Uh, you become a lot more scared when you realize the implications of that. Um, so something to keep in mind when we talk about. When we talk about things like Serenabog, we talk about uh, things like Balor, um, what they do. You know, we we take for granted the things we have. We don't. We we live in a society of plenty, uh, where we if you know we run out of milk, we can pop over to the store real quick and, and go get some. Uh, you know, and and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's great. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, when I don't have milk, I'm glad that I can go over to the store and get a gallon of it. Uh, I'm I'm very grateful that I can do that, um, but I'm very grateful that I can do that with m- many of the things I need. But I mean, imagine a world in which you can't do that anymore. Imagine a world in which there are fixed resources, uh, which there's only a limited amount, uh, where where there doesn't seem to be an endless supply, where there seems to be a very fixed amount, where there is only a little bit. 
and you kind of got to scratch to make a living. You kind of got to scrape to get by. Uh, and then this guy comes along and takes what little you have. Uh, now your your family dies uh, because of this. It's kind of a douchey thing, right? Cernabog is kind of a douche. Uh, so let's move on forward. Now that we've covered these guys, talk a little bit about Cernabog, talk a little bit about the Demon King Balor. Let's dive right into it. Powers and abilities, we'll start there. Balor's got a devastating weapon in his eye. He's got a poisonous spear. He's got a vast army of demons. His very presence causes things to die. Uh, But his greatest weapon is also his greatest weakness. On the other hand, we've got Serenabog. Everywhere he goes, things break. They fall apart. Uh, You know, bad things just happen. He's basically bad luck incarnate. We have death incarnate and bad luck incarnate. It's kind of a hard one there. I'm going to give Balor the edge as far as present, as far as his, as far as his, uh, his weapons go. Because uh, Serenabog doesn't really carry any weapons around. So if it comes to weapons, uh, Balor has his eye and he's got his spear. So we'll give him the edge in weaponry. Weaponry, uh, mythical weapons, we've got uh, a powerful spear tipped with poison uh, that will kill you just by, by touching you. Uh, and we've got an eye that, when it opens up, causes everything around it to be destroyed. Uh, it, it either petrifies or kills you uh, or turns you to ash. Uh, so we'll give him the edge there. Let's see. Uh, impact. And this is a tough one. Uh, when we look at the fact that Cernabog causes disasters and calamities, storms, uh you know, causes basically just misfortune in general. Balor, Balor shows up and things just die. Uh, things just die. And, and really, uh, when you think about it, when you're dead, I mean, I mean, that's it. I mean, you don't really have to suffer. Um, so that, I mean, that's kind of the end of your problem right there. You're dead. So, uh, you know, yeah, that sucks, but at least you're not going to have to suffer and starve to death. When Serenabog passes by, uh, you might not die, but uh, you might lose everything. Uh, you might starve to death. That that's 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 the downer. Uh, so in terms of you know walking around presence, I got to give it to Serenabog because where Serenabog goes, bad things happen. Uh, you know, famine, pestilence, plagues. Uh, that's that's all pretty bad stuff. Um, you know, Balor going places, things just die. I mean, that that yeah, that sucks, but eh, eh. Uh, Serenabog, though, wherever he goes, uh, you know, you kind of have to, you, you don't necessarily die. It's kind of like, hey, uh, I'm going to take everything that you have, but you're going to live through it. So that's going to be worse. He's going to turn everybody into Job. That really sucks. But they don't get a return on everything because apparently Serenabog's not a nice guy. Uh, let's see. As far as scare factor goes, well, if we look at it like this, Serenabog is rarely described. When he is described, he's a he, he's a hooded black figure that kind of just rides around. Uh, sometimes he's twisted and contorted, but uh, for the most part, uh, you don't ever really see Serenabog. He just passes through and bad things happen. Uh, whereas uh, the Demon King Balor is a giant uh, who possesses a massive poisonous eye uh, that can destroy everything. Uh, he carries a big spear, and he's got an army of demons and monsters that follow him around pretty much everywhere he goes. Um, 
that devour the souls of the living and enslave them. Uh, as far as fear factor goes, Valor is probably scarier. Uh, thinking about it, uh, if, if I walked outside, if, if, if you and I walked outside today, guys, and there was a vast array of demons uh, and they all wanted to eat our flesh uh, and make us their slaves and their little sweet little hookers, uh, I think I would be a little bit more scared than seeing a hooded figure riding on horseback. I think I'd be a lot more scared of a giant guy with, with you know, the power to level mountains and, and destroy everything, being followed by an army of demons bent on merciless destruction and enslavement. Uh, I'm going to give the edge to Balor. Balor is pretty scary. Uh, he's a scary dude. Uh, let's see. As far as uh, influence goes, Sternabog's appeared in a lot of popular culture. Balor is kind of obscure, uh, even by popular culture, despite, you know, despite being kind of, you know, seeing sort of a revival of sorts uh, with the advent of neo-paganism. Uh, people sort of uh, talking a little bit more about Balor now. But Sternabog uh, has the advantage of having been immortalized in Disney films, kind of, and, and in one of arguably one of their most influential and impactful films, Fantasia. Uh, considered to be uh, a huge favorite, uh, an artistic masterpiece by many. Uh, but Sandabog features prominently in the film. Uh, he's given dominion over ghosts and, and, and spooky demons in the movie. Uh, he also appeared in one of the most popular game series uh, in, in quite some time, the Kingdom Hearts series. Um, Kingdom Hearts is incredibly popular. It's got a cult following. Lo- loads and loads of people know the game. Uh, they've probably seen Sandabog. And to be honest, uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, did Sarenabog perhaps an even bigger favor by writing them into his book? Neil Gaiman's got a cult following, uh, and uh, the American Gods television show is incredibly uh, popular right now. So Sarenabog features prominently in that as well. Uh, as far as uh, lasting impact goes for Balor, uh, aside from you know the neo pagan community sort of talking a little bit about Balor, uh, you know, in their writing. Uh, and the fact that Finn Balor, the wrestler, uh, in, evokes uh, him as imagery. Uh, his reach is kind of limited. Um, you know, maybe some people go check out Balor because of Finn Balor, but Sternabog's eh, been, you know, been immortalized since the 1940s. And uh, he's been, su- I mean, he, you could argue that he's been such a fixture character. Uh, despite being so obscure, he's been kind of a fixtured character now because of Disney uh, and then getting reimagined in, in uh, American Gods. Uh, which is one of Neil Gaiman's uh, more po- one of his pieces of literature. Uh, so I think I give the lasting impact to Serenabog. You know, he I mean, you got to give this guy you got to give Serenabog a lot of credit because his story is very obscure. We don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, we only know a little bit. There's very there's scant little writing on him. We have a few uh, scriptures here and there written by by priests. Uh, but coming from a largely oral tradition, uh, Balor, too, comes from a largely oral tradition, though his story has been written down uh, in a few epics. He's been uh, sort of referenced uh, in, in epics such as the, uh, uh, the Epic of Kul Kulain. He's been referenced in, in other things. He's, been, he's appeared in video games and in uh, Dungeons & Dragons as a villain, uh, as a minor villain. But uh, I think we could say that uh, Sarenabog's got more reach and he comes from a much more obscure background. I mean, basically, Sarenabog just means black god, uh, and the only thing really associated with him is bad luck, misfortune, uh, just in general, calamities. Uh, but he's rarely ever mentioned. 
uh, anywhere else. And he, and yet he gets, uh, he gets this big part. He gets the big role, you know, he's a star. He's a star in the, uh, the world of Disney Fantasia and now American God. So I have to say, as far as popular culture goes, Sardabog has a tremendous edge. It's kind of hard to really argue with it. I mean, as much as we, as, as much as, you know, Balor's kind of really, in in my opinion, sort of the cooler god because there's a little bit more written on him, kind of a lot more uh, to go on there. Plus, you know, having a demon army always kind of helps, right? Having a demon army is always helps. Um, so we got to give him the edge there. So it's kind of a tight battle here. Um, do we move forward? We look at the fact that, uh, you know, Balor does in fact die. Uh, in his story, where we get no uh, sense that Sarnabog ever dies. Uh, no sense that Sarnabog is ever going to die. Uh, there's nothing really written about his death, uh, despite the fact that he's su- supposed to be in opposition to Svetovid. Svet- uh, he's kind of an ever-present thing. And with the fact, and, you know, if we factor in the, the possibility that, you know, maybe he's the other half of Svetovid or the other half of, of a different god, uh, there's that dualism there. Uh, there's a suggestion that he might always be around, uh, that he might not ever go anywhere. And because of this, there's that there's that idea that, you know, hey, uh, if he's half another god, you know, maybe you have to kill both halves. Maybe uh, maybe Serdabog can't die. Maybe he can't be destroyed. Uh, maybe misfortune and bad luck uh, will always exist, no matter how hard we try. Maybe there will always be a yin to the yang, as it were. Uh, and Sharnabog is kind of very much that other side of the coin. He is the tails to the head side of the coin. Uh, and it's, there's that suggestion that, you know, he's really not going anywhere. Whereas the demon King, uh, he is defeated. He's defeated by his, his grandson, uh, this, this, this King of light, uh, with an army of people who overthrow him much, in the, much like the way, uh, it were much like the story we have within Greek mythology of, uh, the Olympians, uh, taking out the Titans, we're we're with we're, we're stuck with a similar situation for uh, Balor and the Fomorians. The Titans uh, are are overthrown. Kronos and his cronies, <laughs> puns puns guys. Kronos uh, and his cronies are overthrown by his sons uh, and the rest of the Olympians. They overthrow them. Uh, they cast them down to Tartarus and imprison them for all time until a time such time in which they can escape. Uh, except for the good ones, because, you know, we, we've got to have some good Titans in there. But the Fomorians are defeated, and they there's suggestion that they're really not that much of a threat. The only suggestion that we have that Balor's going to come back is the, is the suggestion within a few stories that uh, Balor, because of who he is, may never die, uh, because he is death. Uh, death can't take him, because he is death. Uh, and since mortals will eventually die, uh, Balor will always sort of be there. Uh, so with that, it's kind of a toss-up. It's kind of a toss-up uh, in in that regard. So I, I got to give both these guys a point uh, for their ability to, for their longevity, because despite the fact that Balor's defeated, there's a suggestion that you know uh, he's not really gone. Uh, and the other thing, and with Sarnavag, it's the suggestion that. Mm, you know, with with this dualistic sort of view of gods, eh, there'll always sort of be a, a dark side to the good side. That's always sort of going to be there. Uh, so we're going to give both of them uh, props in that regard. 
if we move it forward, though, uh, you know, Serenabog, let's go with appearances. Uh, Serenabog uh, is sort of ghostly. He's, you know, shrouded uh, in in many cases in, in a dark cloak. He's a horse. He's on horseback, a twisted, ugly looking horse. Uh, he's he's kind of a contorted figure. Then we look at Balor, who is literally a giant. He is a giant. Um, you know, a, a little guy on a horse against a giant. I, I don't like his chances. Uh, I don't like his chances of outrunning Balor's demon army. Uh, I'm sure they've got demonic horses uh, or wings. Uh, but it depends on what depiction, because in, Seren- in, in, in some cases, Serenabog's depicted with wings. In some cases, uh, within the American God series, at least he's depicted as a human being, much like the other gods are. Uh, but I think I'd have to say that Serenabog probably can't beat Demon, the Demon King, Balor, in a fist fight. I would say that Balor would probably, probably put it on him pretty hardcore. Uh, so we give the edge to Balor, at least in the fist fight regard, because uh, something tells me that Balor could probably catch him and wring his scrawny little neck for him. When we look at, uh, I mean, let's look at their titles. Let's do that, too. So Serenabog is the black god, ruler of the night, ruler of eternal, not eternal night. Suggests that uh, when nighttime comes, he's kind of the lord of all that is. Uh, in the nighttime, uh, the demon King Balor is the Lord of demons. He is literally the king of all that is demonic. He has an entire army of demonic beings that do his will, that rape, pillage, plunder, murder, uh, enslave, uh, and otherwise plague humanity. Everywhere they go, things die. Everything I touch dies. Yes, everything he touches dies. He's he's got that. Uh, well, he doesn't have the Midas touch, but he's got um, he, he's got he's got something. It slipped away, guys. I'm sorry. I didn't have a pun for you there. Um, basically, everything he touched dies. So you know, it's kind of. You know, it's kind of a tough, tough situation here. Yeah, ruler of the eternal light sounds kind of cool, uh, but the demon king sounds a little bit cooler. Not gonna lie, I'm picturing a guy with you know a bone crown, uh, probably you know riding on the back of a of a dragon. Ruler of the eternal night. I'm thinking some guy sitting around in a dark shrouded cloak, chilling like a villain. You know, not caring. Um, I think it's the edge to Balor in this one too. It's kind of hard to pick against Balor in this regard. I mean, he does have a cool name. He does have an awesome army. Which brings us to the next thing. Uh, look at the tools at their disposal. We could argue that Dernabog might have the edge uh, fighting uh, the Demon King, though, in one regard, and that is the fact that wherever Dernabog goes, bad things happen. Uh, you might say, well, you know, it doesn't really get much worse than having a demon army, but what if uh, your demon army turns on itself and kills each other? Huh? You've got to think about it. Uh, something tells me that being the, trickstery god, the trickster-like god that Serenabog is, being a uh, god with governance over fortune, uh, that's a pretty chaotic ability. 
the ability to basically turn luck against uh, someone else. How many times in mythology have we seen fortune uh, change change the uh, the outcome of a battle? Well, uh, we see it happen uh, in the Iliad numerous times, but a famous example would be uh, Paris and Achilles. Uh, now, outside looking in, there's no way in hell that Paris should be able to kill Achilles. Uh, he killed the greatest war, the, the other greatest warrior that existed during his time, Hector, uh, and he made him look like a little senorita. So, how does Paris defeat Achilles? The gods favor him, fortune favors him, they guide his arrow, and he kills him. He hits him right where, he's, right where he had to hit him. Uh, which, are we not going to talk about how hard it is to probably shoot somebody in their Achilles tendon? No one's going to bring that up. I'm bringing it up. That is a, that is a bogus shot. That is bullcrap. And something else, you know what? I do have another gripe. I know it's a little bit off topic, but I'm going with it. i got another gripe. What the hell, Thetis? You, you, can't, you can't do the double dip. Just double dip your son in the river sticks. Come on. Lazy. Anyway, that's typical. That's just typical of these mythological figures. Not thinking things through. I mean, we've got numerous examples of that, too. Let's just truck with it. Let's just truck with it for a minute because I'm, I'm on it. Uh, you know, you've got Achilles not getting dipped twice uh, in the river sticks. I mean, how hard would it be to just grab his other foot and dip him in there again? I mean, come on. I mean, I guess you could argue that, yeah, we wouldn't have a story then. Achilles doesn't die, doesn't become a tragic hero. But wouldn't it be cooler to just be a hero that doesn't die? Uh, same thing happens with Siegfried when he kills the dragon, bathes in its blood. For those of you not familiar with Siegfried or the Dostny Berlingen Leap, uh, Siegfried's a mighty epic German hero. Kills the dragon, bathes in its blood, makes his skin impenetrable. But a linden leaf falls right uh, in between his shoulder blades, lands on there. Uh, and it's the only part of his body that he can be killed. Typical of an Achilles story, the rest of his body is all impenetrable, but if he gets stabbed in that part of his back, he immediately dies, which is exactly what happens later, uh, because dumb-dumb Siegfried decides to tell his new girlfriend where his weakness is. Baby, do you have any weaknesses? Yeah, I got one weakness, baby. It's right here in the small of my back. If you uh, tell your brother Hagen to stab me there later, that'd be great, which is exactly what happens. Uh he doesn't exactly tell her to her like that, but, you know, women, they can get you to say things uh, that you wouldn't ordinarily say, especially pretty women. Uh, they get us to say things uh, we don't normally say. Uh, and on the flip side of that, there are just certain people out there that can get you to do that. Hey, good-looking guys uh, can make people say things uh, that they wouldn't ordinarily say. I don't know how many times we've seen people put their foot in their mouths. I do it all the time. Just did it five seconds ago. It's okay. We're going to move forward. But when we look at this, we look at these two guys side by side. I mean, we've seen that in these stories, fortune can turn on a dime. And when it does, it often has devastating consequences. I look at the fact that we have a story about a demon king with a demon army with, with you know, a powerful weapon at his disposal in his, in his eye that can destroy things. But I also think about the fact that Cernabog has governance over fortune. Uh, destiny itself, uh, if you will. And if we're rolling a dice and Serenabog's rolling, uh, 
Serenabog, if you're rolling a dice and Serenabog's nearby, you're rolling snake eyes. Uh, and to me, that's, that, that gives Serenabog a definitive edge here against Balor. Uh, because I I see uh, Serenabog, you know, walking by and the Demon King Balor destroying his whole freaking army by mistake. would really suck. But that's what would probably happen. Uh, you know, I see I see Serenabog smugly standing by while our, our glorious Demon King Balor uh, opens his eye to destroy him and then misses and kills his entire army instead. Uh, or zaps off his own foot or something. Uh, because that's the kind of guy that Serenabog is. And when we consider it that, when we consider that, uh, the possibility, you look at these two guys side by side, I mean, would you rather have power over an entire demon army? Or would you rather have power over destiny itself, the ability to change the outcome simply by being there? Simply by having your, simply through your own presence, you can change the outcome of a battle. Now that uh, is is power you can't buy, right? That's something many of us would would kill for. I mean, of course, the opposite would be kind of cool too, right? Having the ability to uh, you know roll the dice casino and get uh, having the ability to roll the dice at the casino and get all sixes would be even better, right? But not be not having uh the problem of you know bad luck you know being able to curse your enemies with bad luck would also be kind of nice i know i personally off the top of my head can think of some think of some times where i've known people that i would not mind seeing get some bad luck i think we can all agree that nobody's perfect but I think we can all agree we've all got somebody out there that we would not mind seeing get a double dose of bad luck, and that's some Serenabog action. On the other hand, you think about it, Ballard does have access to an immortal army of demons. And an immortal army of demons is kind of hard to argue with. Are you going to show up and say, please, demons, don't kill everybody that I know. Please, demon army, don't don't eat all my friends. Probably not going to work out too well for you in the end. You're probably going to be in some serious trouble. I mean, it does take an entire army of gods to repel Balor's army. And it's not until Balor's actually defeated personally that his that we see him even fall within his story. So that's that's the uh, real catch twenty two. When you defeat Balor, that doesn't necessarily mean you destroy his army. So even if Cernabog were to make Balor destroy his whole army, he'd still have to contend with Balor, and that would be a pretty hefty task in and of itself. I mean, we're talking about a giant. Now, if we return to the story though of Balor. Let's re-examine the story of how Balor is defeated. Uh, his own son, or grandson, I should say, puts his eye out, uh, his ultimate weapon. Puts his eye out, causes him, causes him to take out a bunch of his, bunch of his fellow men, 
takes out all of his demon, bunch of his demons, and they are able to repel the demons back. What we didn't talk about is the fact that this is one of two battles. Uh, in the first matchup between the Tuatha Dé Nan and the Fomorians, Balor and his army, they win. They beat the forces of good. They defeat the gods uh, the first time around. Even with his grandson at the helm, they win. So later, when they figure out his weakness, or that his greatest strength is his, that could also be his greatest weakness, uh, that they get lucky, they put out his eye, and they take him out. Now, again, something, something to consider here is that it doesn't say uh, in all of the stories that Balor's gone forever. It just says that in this scenario, he dies. But if he's the god of death and he dies, something else should happen too, right? People shouldn't die anymore. Arguably, we could we could argue that. But it doesn't say in the mythos, it doesn't say in Celtic mythology that when Balor goes, people stop dying. In fact, it suggests that Balor could return, that he could just simply rise again, that he waits to replenish his army with souls. And I think that's what makes the Demon King Balor particularly terrifying is that there is this sense of not only the fact that, oh, well, yeah, sure, he gets beaten the first time. Sure, it's all fine and dandy. He loses his first round. But round two is just around the corner, baby. Uh, you know, and and we get the sense within Celtic mythology that the Demon King Balor is not ever going to be fully gone. That as long as there are mortals who die, Balor will always be there waiting. Uh, to devour the souls of the wicked uh, and incorporate them into this vast army that he is planning to one day rise again and take back what was his. Now, the the story of, of Balor is a dethroned king. We get the same creeping tension with the king Balor that we get uh, with guys like Kronos and the Titans. Uh, the Titans in Tartarus, uh, the biggest fear for the Olympians is that some hero or someone some way, somehow, is going to free the Titans and that they're going to wreak their horrible vengeance upon the Olympians. Now, you know, there are all kinds of ways that we can shake this out and argue it. Uh, You know, some would say, well, just because they rise again doesn't mean they can't be defeated again. Well, we're assuming that uh, they don't learn from their mistakes. Uh, one, you could argue that the biggest mistake that Valor made was underestimating his grandson, Lou. Uh, we, we could argue that the biggest mistake that he made wasn't that uh, he tried to defy destiny and fate, was, but that when he was confronted with fate and destiny, he underestimated it. Uh, he went straight full on into battle to take on his, his grandson's army and met him on the field, and his grandson killed him because he didn't take him seriously. But a revived, revitalized demon king with a vast army of demons at his disposal and the souls of all the people that have died since, since time immemorial in his army as slaves, that, that could be a powerful force. And considering the fact that he was, in fact, defeated the first time around, something tells me that a, 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 king, a demon king 
the Demon King Balor would uh, have learned from his mistakes. Uh, consider that he's a god uh, who experienced the very experienced death, the very force that he has control over. He's experienced, and consider for the fact that he consider again that he has had an eternity to mull over his mistakes. The last thing you want to give somebody that hates you is time to think about what they're going to do to you. Last thing you want to give somebody is time to think about what they've got planned for you. Because I can tell you now, there's some people out there who think of some pretty twisted stuff, but I can only imagine what the Demon King Balor would have planned for the mortals when he came back. Now, if we look at the flip side of this, the, the, the reverse of this, we, we still get caught on this idea of fortune with Cernobog. It's a tempting idea, right? This tantalizing power of his, this ability to change the outcome of events, uh, you know, the ability to change the course of things for the negative, though, not, not the positive, because what he does is he's changing things uh, for the negative, misfortune, bad luck, bad luck. Uh, could be a powerful force. I mean, it doesn't matter how strong you are if, uh, I, it, you know, it doesn't matter how powerful you are if you get sick and you die, right? Uh, it doesn't matter how uh, many, how much, how large your army is if your army attacks itself and, and kills everybody in it. Uh, you know, how hardly matters how, how uh, strong you are if you get lost and you don't have anything to eat, <laughs> then then you're probably just going to starve to death. Picture all these scenarios in which Serenabog, uh could potentially, you know, mislead and elude and 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 get away, uh, get around this army marching on him. Uh, it's it's a t- it's a tough matchup. It's tantalizing. You think about the fact that Serenabog, uh is has dominion over the night. Uh, and in some of the stories, something that I forgot to mention is that in some stories surrounding Serenabog, uh, he has access to the spiritual realm. Uh, and this access that he possesses uh, allows him to move much like a ghost. Serenabog is almost ghost-like. He, pass, he could pass through your house. He can pass through objects. Uh, and, you know, he can, he can pass through your wa- the walls. Uh, to your barn. One of the, one of the reasons why uh, they leave offerings for guys like Serenabog is because uh, there's this mystical quality to them. And one of the mystical qualities of Serenabog is he's the ruler of eternal night, uh, a master of illusions, a master of of shadows. Uh, he he's he governs calamities and 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 bad luck. But particularly ter- more terrifying about him is the fact that he can simply waltz right into your house, and he's not going to use the door. He's just going to pass through the wall. Uh, you know, that's that's a pretty powerful, pretty devastating ability, the ability to pass through things, uh, the ability to bend people's minds to think what you want them to think is kind of kind of spooky, too. Uh, but, you know, illusions, illusions, when we think about them, don't seem very threatening. But what if what if uh, what if you think you're about to uh, go drink some water? And instead, you're drinking an entire river of sand. You've been convinced that uh, off in the distance, 
is your goal and you run right off a cliff. You know, in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, how powerful Serenabog is, his, his ability to govern fortune and his ability to, you know, create illusions and pass through things, I give him a little bit of an edge here on Valor. Valor's got a demon army, but what good does that do him if it uh, marches off a cliff uh, or turns on it? Or better yet, what if it turns on him? Sure, Valor could wipe them all out, but wouldn't that defeat the purpose of having a demon army? Uh, wiping out your entire army seems like a bad way to enslave the human race. <clears throat> you kind of don't want to do that. Uh, you don't really want to wipe out your entire army. You know, that's kind of like going, you know, you, you don't want to go to war and then say, yeah, I think I'll kill my entire army. You know, if Alexander the Great had done something like that, uh, he probably wouldn't have been Alexander the Great. He might have been Alexander the douchebag or Alexander the the not-so-great, Alexander the loser. Uh, Alexander the Foolish, maybe, uh, but he's not going to uh, he's not going to be Alexander the Great because he destroyed his own army. That'd be kind of stupid. Uh, so the Demon King has a bit of a tough matchup on his hands. You look at Serenabog, his ability to govern fortune uh, and his ability to pass through things, uh, twist people's minds, alter their perception. That's pretty pretty powerful stuff. You, you got to think about that when these two guys stack up against each other i have to say uh that in terms of all all, all over all, all around power i gotta give the edge to sarinabog sarinabog uh you know he could he could alter the course of a battle simply by showing up that's how much of a study is he just shows up and things go to go straight down the tubes I picture a scenario in which the Demon King has assembled his vast army, and in front of him, in front of him stands but a single man shrouded all in black. Off in the distance, we see mortals cowering in fear. We poor souls, help my poor soul, we're going to be standing there, cowering in fear, looking across into the distance at a vast army of demons bent on merciless destruction, human flesh dripping from their teeth, jagged jaws and grotesque smiles, weapons and torture implements of all shapes and sizes, torches, banners made of human flesh, everything around them rotting away, and they're all there across the field in the shadowy, shadowy light of the moon we have the single singular figure Serenabog just sitting there on horseback waiting waiting across the field patiently to throw an entire army into chaos I don't know man that's that's pretty tense pretty tense situation You know, we, I talked about the fact that, you know, the Demon King would have had an eternity, really, to uh, plan his resurgence. You know, uh, fact, the, fact of the, the fact that he'd have an eternity to plan his resurgence, re, retool his army, that's pretty scary to think about. you got to think, you know, a bunch of demons would be scary, you know, waving around flags of human skin and, and uh, 
you know, carrying banners, you know, waving around banners of human skin, carrying torches and all, all manner of, you know, weapons, flying around, walking around, crawling on all fours, just being generally terrifying creatures. You know, maybe we modernize them a little bit. Maybe they got a bunch of guns. Maybe they got a tank. But even so, across the field, you got to think, Sarnabog, all by his lonesome. The odds don't look good, but then we remember something. Sarnabog is a douchebag. <laughs> but then we remember that Sarnabog is not a good guy. That everything that he touches turns to ash. Uh, every Everywhere he goes, things go down the tubes. Everywhere he goes, things go wrong. Anything that can go wrong, he is Murphy's Law incarnate. Anything that can go wrong will always go wrong. Uh, ultimately, we give the edge to Serenabog. Serenabog wins this fight probably nine times out of ten, and he doesn't even have to swing a sword, doesn't have to put out Balor's eye. Balor's going to – something bad will happen to him, all right? He'll get an eyelash caught in his eye. He'll poke his own eye out. He'll kill his own army. His army will eat each other. Something terrible will happen to him. The worst possible matchup for Balor. If it were a contest of brute strength, I'd give it to Balor all day long. If it were a contest of armies, I'd probably still give it to Balor. But it's not a contest of armies. Balor and his army possibly not even seeing Sarnabog, possibly never even run, not even knowing that he's there, and Sarnabog simply, his presence causing everything to fall apart. The center does not hold. Things fall apart, and Sarnabog stands alone as the winner. He will rule the night. He will be the lord of shadows, the lord of darkness, the king of the stars. He is the master of darkness. He is the destroyer. And he's all of these things by default. <laughs> he's all of these things because his enemies will destroy themselves. They'll tear themselves to pieces. They'll run off mountains. They'll kill each other, get lost. They'll go insane. And it'll all be because Cernabog simply exists. He's simply there. And that's just enough. To give him the edge. No demon army, no eye of devastation can overcome fortune when it doesn't favor it. It doesn't matter how many mystical weapons you have at your disposable. It doesn't matter how many, how, how vast your armies are. It doesn't matter how many eternities, how many aeons of time you've had at your disposal of the plan. One bout of bad luck can ruin it all. Can go as planned. We all know what they say. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. No matter how carefully something is planned, something may still go wrong with it. In the immortal words of Robert Burns, 
best laid schemes of mice and men, gang after glay. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And in this scenario, the best laid plans of demon kings and demon armies often still go awry. Guys, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Your winner, your champion, sir of the night, ruler of fortune, the ruler of the eternal night, the dreaded Serenabog. Guys, hope you enjoyed the show. If you guys are interested in looking up more on these two figures, uh, you can find quite a bit. Uh, Serenabog will be a little bit difficult for you, but you can take a look at Writers of, of the Sidhe by uh, Kenneth C. Flint. Uh, you can look at uh, Valor's Revenge, Paul Fronda. Uh, you can look at the Mammoth Book of uh, Celtic Myths and Legends. Something to take a look at there uh, by Peter uh, Beresford Ellis. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's developed from a, an early oral storytelling tradition. Uh, it dates all the way back to the dawn of European culture, and it's one of the most the oldest and most vibrant of Europe, Europe's mythologies. Uh, this uh, book collection is actually quite large. Uh, it's published in September of 2011, and uh, it's a collection from all six Celtic cultures: Irish, Scottish, Welsh, Cornish, Manx. Uh, in Breton, uh, Beresford uh, includes popular myths and legends as well as bringing uh, to life a lot of exciting new tales. Um, he's got an extensive uh, wealth of knowledge and source material uh, in the book, uh, so it's a great place to start if you're interested in Celtic mythology. I, have, I highly recommend it. Um, it's definitely something worth looking into. And if you're interested in, in myths and legends involving gods, goddesses, heroes, and heroines, magical weapons, fabulous beasts, entities from the ancient Celtic world, and mystical battles, uh, this, is, this is the book for you. Uh, Paris, uh, Peter Beresford Ellis uh, is regarded as one of the preeminent uh, Celtic scholars. He's published a lot of books on the subject. This is one of the, his largest products. Uh, he's a fellow of the three royal societies in historical and antiquarian fields, uh, antiquarian fields, sorry, and the recipient of many awards and honors for his work. Uh, he's under the he's written under the pseudonym uh, Peter Tremaine as well. He's the author of the best-selling uh, Sister Fidelma murder series set in Ireland in the seventh century. Uh, so he's got a lot of books. Uh, you can also take a look at a brief history of the Celts by Peter Ellis, uh, if you're interested as well. Um, But Peter Ellis is definitely uh, the guy you want to go looking towards, um, go look into. If you're looking for work on Serenabog, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, I recommend uh, recommend, uh, looking at Neil Gaiman's – I recommend looking at Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Uh, Yes, it's fictional, uh, but parts of mythology will always be fictional. Um, uh, 
and I mean, really, uh, mythology uh, and religion are really just the big stories we tell ourselves about ourselves anyway. Uh, and so, you know, to say they're fictional, you know, kind of write it off is kind of silly. Uh, you can look up the Chronicle of the Slavs by Hellman, uh, the priest of Bazao. Uh, it's been reprinted uh, and republished uh, several times, but uh, I recommend the translated version uh, by Francis Joseph Tishon. Uh, it, from 1935, uh, it was print. It was printed with the Columbia University Press, so something to take a look at. Um, but that's that's probably a great start uh, if you're if you've got if you've got the time, you can look at the Chronica Slabora um, in Latin if you want to read it in Latin. The original text uh, it's available. You can you can get it, print it offline. Um, so. Uh, but if you're looking specifically uh, for books on Slavic uh, Slavic mythology, now that is another another animal entirely. Uh, definitely something uh, I would encourage again. And I'm definitely going to share with you guys some uh, some books on Slavic myth that I think you should definitely take a look at. Uh, you should definitely take a look at Creatures of Slavic Myth uh, by Dmitry uh, Kushner. Definitely take a look at uh, Tales from Slavic Myth by Ivan Hudek. It's uh, translated by Emma Nazinska and Jeff Schmitz. Uh, Hudek is a former minister of culture for Slovakia and is retelling tales from across the Slavic world uh, throughout the book. Uh, definitely uh, worth your time. Uh, also, the Encyclopedia of Russian and Slavic Myth and Legend, it's by uh, Mike Dixon Kennedy. If you're interested in finding uh, more stories on Slavic mythology and Russian mythology, early early stuff, uh, this is definitely a must, must read. Um, you've got to read this. It's the first comprehensive guide in English to uh, the myths and legends uh, of the Russian Empire and other Slavic countries and peoples. Uh, there's lots of illustrations in it. It's it's very uh, it's it's a large book, uh, but it can be got it can be acquired on Amazon. So something to consider. Uh, I believe you can also get it uh, downloaded as well as an ebook. So there, there's lots of different options for that. Uh, I'd also recommend Fairy Tales of the Russians and Other Slavs, 68 stories edited by H.G. and Olga A. Pilkington with 10 uh, stories newly translated. Uh, again, something to consider, something to get in. Uh, very excited about. Very cool stuff uh, within Slavic mythology and folklore. It's it's fascinating culture. Um, and one I think doesn't get uh, doesn't get a fair fair amount of coverage. Uh, in scholarship. So I hope you guys will take a look at these books. I hope you guys will take a look at this source material. It's good stuff. It's very interesting stuff. To me, at least, it's very fascinating. Uh, and I always recommend that people get familiar with other people's cultures. Um, you're often going to find that there's a lot of common ground uh, within our stories and their stories. And also, uh, you might find some very entertaining stories. You might learn a lot about another culture, but you might learn a lot about yourself in the process. And really, uh, that's what we want to do, right? We want to learn uh, more about ourselves. And mythology, again, I've said it no, a number of times, mythology are the big stories 
we tell ourselves about ourselves? Why do we tell these epic tales of heroes? Because we want something to aspire to. We want something to inspire us. Why do we tell these stories about demon kings and, and shadowy gods of misfortune? Well, we want to explain our universe, right? We want to explain our universe. We want to, we want to find answers to those tough and unanswerable questions sometimes. Uh, you know, sometimes it's easier to blame, blame misfortune on a, mis, on a god of misfortune than it is uh, that sometimes things just don't go our way. Um, you know, I think one of the most enriching and rewarding experiences that we can have uh, from familiarizing ourselves with, with what our, our ancestors believed in is not just the lessons we can learn about what they believed in, but we can learn a lot about where we come from, and we can learn a lot about ourselves. Um, we can learn a lot about the human psyche. Why do we tell these stories? I mean, we, we, we kind of laugh nowadays. You know, we laugh about these stories. We think they're funny. Uh, but we have to remember that these stories, people believed in these things, uh, so it's really not a laughing matter. And in, in some cases, yes, there are some funny stories. Of course there are. Uh, but uh, it's not so different from what we do now. We've got superheroes uh, who are very much like these gods. I mean, look at Superman. He basically is a god. I mean, even Batman's almost a god, really, if you think about it. You stretch it just enough. Uh, it depends loosely on your definition of a god. But, uh, you know, you look at some of these larger-than-life figures from, from comic books. Uh, you know, look at guys like Wolverine who are, you know, basically indestructible uh, badasses that can do pretty much anything. Um, I would say that the superhero has almost become the modern-day god. They've almost become the modern-day uh, mythology. Uh, you know, where someone would argue with me is to say that, well, we don't necessarily worship uh, these things, but I would disagree. I think we definitely do. We definitely deify our superheroes. Uh, look at uh, you, you, tell, you look at these theaters, you look at all these people in these movie theaters watching uh, the Avengers, uh, even, you know, and then the sequel to the Avengers and the sequel to the Avengers, too. Uh, you know, look at how many people are, are already hyped about Thor Ragnarok. Look at all the uh, people that went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. How I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the first one and the second one. Then I bought them both when they came out. Uh, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we want to see these stories? Well, because we want something to believe in. These stories entertain us, uh, and they give us something to aspire to. Uh, we, we show what we, we, what we spend money on shows what we care about, right? Uh, and we care about superheroes. We do. We, that's why there are so many successful superhero shows. Look at Arrow. Look at uh, Gotham. Look at, um, look at Flash, The Defenders. Um, the Punisher that's coming out. We're excited about that. Iron Fist, uh, Daredevil. All these shows, there's something to aspire. They're, they're entertainment, but there's something to aspire to. We're inspired. We're touched by the things these people do. We're impressed by the things that they do. We're excited about the things that they do. We, we can't help but be entertained and enthralled um, taken in by these superheroes. And I can't help but feel like that's what, our, that's what our ancestors were doing 
when they were telling these stories, they were like, think about how awesome Achilles is. He's a badass. Uh, he, he can kill anybody. He can do anything. He's the son of a god. Uh, look at, uh, I mean, for crying out loud, you look, need look no further than Jesus Christ himself, uh, who is proposed to be, who is put forth by Christians as the son of God and also God in human flesh. Uh, possessing the ability to perform miracles, change water into wine. That's a hell of a superpower. Walk on water, uh, heal his own wounds, heal the sick. If that's not a superhero, I don't know what is. That's a superhero. That's, I mean, that is literally a superhero. You can't tell me by looking at all of our religious figures that our superheroes are not influenced heavily by that. You can't tell me that we don't deify superheroes in our culture when you look at all the mythologies that we have, all the religions that we have. And people are going to say, well, that's, that's sacrilege. That's, that's crazy talk. Is it crazy talk? Or are we just doing what everybody before us did? Are we just coming up with new gods as we go forward? Because I can tell you right now, all the bo- look at the box office and tell me that argue with me if you like, but look at the box office and tell me that these guys that we're putting forth, these superheroes are not gods. Tell me they're not. Tell me that they're not. Tell me that people don't look up to superheroes. Tell me that people don't aspire to be like superheroes. Tell me that there aren't thousands of people every year that go to Comic-Cons dressed as superheroes because that's who they idolized when they were growing up. Tell me there aren't a bunch of, there aren't thousands of people around the world who have collections of their favorite comic book because they love that comic because of who's in the comic, who's in the comic. If it, it doesn't matter if it's Martian Manhunter, Martian Manhunter, Superman, Daredevil, Spider-Man, these people are the modern day gods. They are our modern day myth, mythos. They are our modern day myths. And you know what? Honestly, you can't even really be mad about it. I'm not mad about it. Personally, I think it's kind of cool. But there are people who are going to say, well, Dallas, that's just, that's just too far of a stretch. That's too far of a reach. It's not too far of a reach, though. I just told you a story about a demon king and a guy who has the ability to change the course of destiny itself. That sounds like, that sounds like supervillains. If we look at some of the guys that I've talked about, look at Kukuling, the man who resolved to die standing on his feet, who suffered all these different wounds, all these different battles. I talked about Kukuling on one of my mythical segments. I talked about Achilles. You mean to tell me these guys aren't superhuman? Look at the things that they do. Achilles literally laid waste to entire armies by himself. Kukuling did the exact same thing. Both of them were said to possess unnatural strength, unnatural agility, uh, devilishly good looks Both of them good looking guys Both of them in the prime of their life Both of them stronger than everybody else Faster than everybody else but They've got weaknesses just like superheroes Kryptonite Superman's got a weakness He's Superman but he's got a weakness and it's kryptonite What is Achilles kryptonite? It's his Achilles tendon The only part of his body that's not immortal What was Kukulain's kryptonite? His geese, his word If he broke it, he lost his power he breaks his word, he loses his power, he dies. He dies like a champ, but he dies. Same thing with Achilles. He goes out like a beast, but he dies. Dies nonetheless. These guys 
are superheroes. They're just our ancestors' superheroes. And I think the reason that I'm so excited about this, so passionate about this, is I look at what we, what we have today. I look at all of our superheroes that we've had for years and years and years. We've been putting these superheroes forward. And you've got to ask yourself the question, why? Why are we doing this? Why do we have these superheroes? Human beings want something to believe in, and they don't care if it's a god. They don't care if it's a superhero. They want something to aspire to be. They want to be better than they were, better than they are now. They want to be better every day than they were the day before. And superheroes represent the possibility of being better. Yes, they're flawed. Yes, they're not perfect. But then again, so are humans. Humans are flawed. Humans aren't perfect. And that's why superheroes are so relatable. That's why these epic heroes that we talk about are so relatable. We talk about the fact that these guys are, they have weaknesses. They're larger than life figures, but they have weaknesses. That's the human aspect of them. That's that human characteristic, that human unintangible that they've got. Yes, they're special. Yes, they're set apart from the rest. But there's something human about them. They care about people. They have people that care about them they've got weaknesses they've got strengths they're not they're not invincible but they don't have to be invincible they don't have to be invincible that's what makes them so appealing that's why we go to see superhero movies we don't go just for the explosions and the fighting scenes we don't go just because wonder woman's hot we don't go just because people are attracted to superman because he's a good-looking dude we go because we're inspired by what these people represent. They represent the best qualities within human beings and also the worst qualities. They represent that, that glorious part of us, that glorious potential that allows us to reach beyond what we would normally be able to do to achieve greatness. But they also represent that very human characteristic, the, the weakness that we have, that frailty that we have, the mortality that, was, that is in all of us that we rebel against every single day. That's what superheroes represent. And that's what these myths tell us. That's why these mythical stories are important. That's why we shouldn't scoff at them. That's why we shouldn't sit around and say, oh, look how simple our ancestors were. Look how stupid they were. They came up with these stories. How silly is that? That's hilarious. Uh, they... Because we're doing the exact same thing. We're doing the same thing that's been done since time immemorial. We're looking for heroes. And if we don't have one, we make one. So when we, when we tackle these subjects, I know I've, I've heard people, people have talked to me outside my show, and they've said, Dallas, you know, why, why should I even care about mythology? Why should I care? Why is it important? You know why it's important? Because every single day, we as people are creating our own mythology. That's why it's important, because we can learn from the mythology we already have. Telling stories every single day, we're creating new heroes, and every single day, we're just repeating what everybody else has done before us. Maybe we've got better, maybe we've got better storytellers. Maybe we don't. Maybe, maybe. We're so blind to the fact that we need heroes that we, we actually have convinced ourselves that we're just being entertained, but we haven't thought about the reason why we're being entertained. Why are we being entertained by these heroes? What is it about them that entertains us? Is it the things that they do? Is it, is it because they're, they're strong and fast and, and they're the things – the, the fights that they have, is it because of the bad guys? Is it because we want to see justice done? 
I think all those things have a factor in there. I think they all play a part. But I think ultimately the real reason that we go see superhero movies, the real reason we keep telling ourselves these superhero stories, the real reason we keep on on and on and on perpetuating these stories and perpetuating these mythologies is because there's something within the human spirit that longs to be better than it was before. There's something within us all that longs to reach for something great. We want to reach not for the brass ring, not for the silver ring. We want the gold, baby. All right? Human beings want to achieve. They want to reach beyond their normal capabilities. They want to believe that they can rise above it all and come out on top. That's why we have superheroes. That's why mythology is important. These big stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are the inspiration for writers, the inspiration for filmmakers, the inspiration for the artists, the thinkers. Everybody that's ever done anything has had a hero in their life. And I don't care if it was a superhero or an actual person, we've looked up to someone in our lives and we've tried to follow their example. There are people in our world who have patterned their lives after these superheroes, who have attempted to tap into that glory that exists within these superheroes. We talk about these people. Uh, you know, we, we've got all forms of entertainment now involving people that are the good guys and the bad guys. We've got heroes that represent all that's virtuous and all that could be great in, among people. And our villains represent all that's dark within us, all the terrible things that we are capable of, whilst our heroes represent all the good, all the great things that we could achieve. We were able to look past our short-sightedness and reach for it. That is why mythology is important. That's why we tell ourselves these big stories. That's why we're entertained by them, because there is something within us all that longs to be a hero. Guys, I know I said earlier that was all I had for you guys, but that is now all I've got for you guys. I want you to let those words sink into you. I want you to think about it. The next time you go to a superhero movie, I want you to think about it. Why are you going to that movie? Are you looking to be entertained and inspired? Of course you are. That's why you're going. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having a superhero to idolize. Important to understand why we do it. What is it within yourself that is driving you to go watch these films? What is it within you that drives you to idolize these superheroes? Why do you? Why do you? Find yourself entertained and attracted by these heroes. That's the question I leave you with all today. And I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope you'll tune in next week when I do my next show. Going to be changing the schedule around a little bit. But on things for sure, guys, I will be back. You can catch me. Of course, guys, that's the end of the Bareback Facts, but I want to make a minor announcement. This week, uh, Sunday, you can catch me live, of course, on Straight Football Talk, as always. And this coming Sunday, we've got uh, predictions, NFL predictions uh, for this week's games. We're going to go over who had the best record. And, guys, I don't mean to brag, but it was me. Uh, I I do want to brag. It was me. I had the best record uh, because I'm amazing. Um, But my my false modesty aside, uh, uh, this week we're interviewing Michael Coe. Uh, Very excited to have him on the show. going to be a great show, so – Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the show has been moved till not to 9 a.m. 
uh, from 9 a.m. to noon uh, to uh, give you guys the opportunity to hear, uh, you know, the NFL Today show uh, before the game start. And, of course, we, we like to get our show out of the way early because, again, straight football talk, uh, we want to watch football, too. <laughs> we're, we're greedy like that. We want to we have our cake and eat it, too. So we do want to talk about it, but we're at, at, at heart we are fans and we want to see it. Uh, if you missed out on last week's show, uh, you missed out on a great show because we had Michael Montgomery on, uh, former – Former, uh, NFL, former NFL Green Bay Packer, uh, former Packers uh, defensive lineman, and we also had on uh, Seth from the Talking Heads. It's great to have him on. We hope to have him on again. Hopefully he'll bring us co-host next time. We can have a little, uh, have a little back and forth. It'd be great. Uh, but Sunday, 9 a.m., straight football talk. Catch it here. Catch it with me and Teddy the Bear Tate. That's all I've got for you guys. Hope you enjoyed this latest edition of the Bear Backpacks. Guys, we're moving strong. This is episode 20. Uh, with with the station, I'm really enjoying myself. Hope you guys are enjoying it too. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Catch you all on Sunday. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.